Well, good morning. Today we are going to be continuing our sermon series, uh, 40 Days in the Word. And if you weren't with us last week, just a reminder about what we're doing. Over the next several weeks, we'll be looking at our messages at topics and issues related to Scripture itself. Uh, how did the Word of God come together? How do we know it's the Word of God? How can we apply it? How do we interpret it? And seeing things like that, so on and so forth. Along with the messages, uh, just a reminder, in your worship guide, there's a, a weekly Bible verse, a very simple Bible verse, easy to, to recall and remember. Uh, this week it's Psalm 119.18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things uh, in your law. It's a great prayer. And if we uh, put that to memory and pray that I believe that God will answer uh, that, that prayer. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Uh, along with the uh, messages, we uh, have uh, some sermon props. There's a young man in our church who's uh, putting together sermon props. Last week we had a, a wheelbarrow and some construction equipment. This week we have a, uh, about a 300-pound anchor and, uh, and uh, no, it's a styrofoam anchor. But uh, it, the idea there is for us, it's a reminder, visual reminder, that, that uh, God's Word is an anchor for us and for our lives. I also think that it's up here to remind me not to drift too far in my sermons. So, You know, the Bible is the most read book in history, and it's uh, the best-selling book in history. It's the most translated book in history. But how do we know it's the Word of God? How do we know that we can trust it? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that... The, the man, the child, the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, the word uh, God breeds in the Greek is a word theonoustos. And theo means God. That's where we get the word theology from. And noustos meaning breathed. So literally it says, the Bible says about itself that it's God breathed. Now, what does it mean that the Bible is God breathed? It doesn't mean that it's uh, talking about an inspired writer who wrote an inspiring and powerful book. It's talking about God inspiring the book. It's God-breathed. To give you an example, right now you're listening to the breath of Doug McHenry. I breathe, it goes over my vocal cords, it vibrates, and out comes a sound. Uh, If I didn't have breath, I wouldn't have any voice. So the breath of Doug McHenry is the word of Doug McHenry. And the Bible says that God's word is God's very breath. It's his communication to us. Psalm 119 says, All of your commands, talking about God, all of your commands can be trusted. Now, it's one thing for the Bible to claim that it's the word of God. It's kind of circular logic. But how do we know that it really is? That's not just a collection of fairy tales or or fables or legends or good moral teachings thrown together in a book called the Bible. That's a good, valid, legitimate question. A question that we need to ask. How can I know that I can trust the Bible? How can I know that I can trust that it is actually the Word of God? And so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, some evidences and some proofs and some facts. We can't answer everything in the next 25 minutes or so, uh, but we're going to look at a few. And if you do have questions afterwards, you can talk to myself or the pastors and we'll point you to some resources and material. My hope and prayer is that if you're skeptical and have questions, that'll you'll take you one step closer. Uh, if you have no doubts, hopefully it'll be a reminder and give you tools so that we can, like Peter told us to, uh, be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. 
You know, Time Magazine thought this question was uh, such an important question about the Bible's trustworthiness that it put it on its cover twice. One cover said, how true is the Bible? Uh, A few years later, again, it says on the cover, is the Bible fact or fiction? Now, we're going to start off uh, by looking at um, some things the Bible says about itself, but we're also going to look at some things that historically give us reason to, to trust that it is God's word. First, though, we're going to look at why the Bible is trustworthy, because it is historically accurate. You know, um, the Bible is historically accurate. Uh, in other words, it's not just doctrinally correct. It's not just theologically correct. It's not just accurate regarding morals and ethics. Uh, it's true history, true people, real places, real time. And we might ask, okay, why is, why is that important? Because the Bible tells us this, that God cannot lie. A lot of people say, is there anything God can't do? And yes, there are some things that God cannot do. He cannot deny himself. He cannot not be God. He cannot sin. He cannot lie. The Bible says this in Hebrews 6.18. It is impossible for God to lie because God is truth. Now, if this book is is, is, is not true, uh, then it's not a godly book. It's not from God. Psalm 33, 4 says, The word of the Lord is right and true. Not just right and true about salvation, but right and true as well as about history. You know, when I, when I was in college, I was a history and poli-sci major, and, and I was taught when you were studying history to know if it's good history, to know if it's accurate, there are certain tests that you take. One of them is, was it written by eyewitnesses? Uh, is it written down by somebody who saw it firsthand, or is it secondhand or thirdhand, or was it written down like, like a legend hundreds or thousands of years later? Well, when we hold the Bible up to this test, uh, we, we know that there were eyewitnesses who wrote down uh, the New Testament uh, only a, a few decades after Christ's death and resurrection. They saw the events, they saw what happened, they were there, they were impacted by it. But by another test of history, if we compare the number of manuscripts we have of the Bible, In other words, the copies of the Bible that we have, it blows away all other ancient texts. It's not even close. For example, the New Testament. We have over 25,000 manuscripts. Um, 25,000, over 5,600 of them are written in the original Greek. And and the earliest copy uh, was from 40 to 60 years after it was written, which is way earlier than other ancient literature. Of the 20,000 lines in the New Testament, only 40 are somewhat disputed, 0.25%. In the Old Testament, we have um, over 14,000 manuscripts, which agree with each other to a highly remarkable degree. In fact, uh, the the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were discovered in the 1940s and 50s, confirm the accuracy of the Old Testament, which was written over 2,500 years before that. Let's compare it now and see how the Bible stacks up against some other well-known ancient literature. Homer's Iliad, the most renowned book of ancient Greece, the second best preserved literary work of all time, has 643 manuscripts. Of those 15,600 lines in Homer, 743 are, are disputed, 5%. You know, another, another uh, uh, thing to compare it to, the, the acts and plays of William Shakespeare, 37 plays written in the 1600s. Um, 
we don't have original manuscripts of them. In fact, scholars have had to fill in the blanks in many places, which again pales in comparison with the other 5,600 copies and fragments of the Old Testament or the New Testament we have in the original Greek. The Bible is historically accurate. It's not even close when compared to other literature. Another proof is in archaeology. You look at archaeology and it proves time and time again that the people and places of the Bible actually were true. For example, the Areopagus where Paul was, the, the, the theater in Athens where there was a riot, those places have been dug up. We know those, those are in the Bible. The pool of Siloam where Jesus healed the blind man, uh, the parts, portions of Herod's temple, all these places are talked about in the Bible and they've been dug up. The book of Acts is all about historical accuracy. Luke, the writer of Acts, was a, not only a physician but a, a historian. He talks about 54 cities. He talks about uh, nine islands and 39 countries, all of them accurate when checked now. You know, one of the great things about how archaeology works with the Bible is how again and again it shows that the Bible is, is more accurate than often we have our own ideas of history. For instance, a long time, for a long time, historians said, we're not sure that a guy named Solomon actually existed. And, and we know for sure that he didn't have thousands of horses because back then they only had camels in that part of the world. Well, until they dug up at Megiddo, one of Solomon's chariot cities with thousands of stables for horses. Another great example is the empire of the Hittites. There's a whole lot in the Bible in the Old Testament about this empire called the Hittites, but it's not mentioned anywhere else in ancient literature. And so for centuries, historians said the Bible just made it up. They were mistaken somehow until the early 1900s when a professor by the name of Hugo Winkler discovered 10,000 clay tablets at the capital of the Hittites. So now everybody believes in the Hittites. In fact, during a break in the game today, you can look it up on Wikipedia and read about the Hittites. So we know we can trust the Bible because it's, it's historically accurate and archaeology confirms it. And we could talk about several other examples, but we don't have time for that. The second reason we can trust the Bible is because it's prophetically accurate. It means the predictions in the Bible always come true. You know, the, the Bible is full of, of hundreds of, of predictions and prophecies where God says, this is going to happen at this time in this way. And over the centuries, hundreds of those prophecies have come true. And there are still some yet to be fulfilled. For example, about Jesus Christ himself, there are over 300 prophecies in, in the Old Testament. And over a thousand year period, 300 prophecies said things like, this is where he'll be born. This is whom he'll be born to. This is how he'll be born. This is how he'll die. This is how he'll live. This is what he'll die from. Over 300 prophecies. Now think about it. What are the odds of you or I making predictions about an individual to come in history and seeing 300 of them, all 300 of them, come true? The odds are astronomical. It takes enormous faith to believe that it's all just random, that it all just happened without a designer, without a creator. It takes more faith to believe it. It was all just a coincidence than to believe that God actually planned it. Another example, a thousand years before Jesus died on the cross, David in the 22nd Psalm describes what death by crucifixion 
is like. He didn't use the word crucifixion because they didn't know the word back then. But a thousand years before the Romans nailed Jesus on the cross and crucified him, David describes it in Psalm 22. How did he know that? God inspired him and filled him. A few other um, examples of, scripture, of prophecies about Jesus. Micah 5.2 says he'll be born in Bethlehem. He was. Isaiah 7 and 9, 7 and, and chapter 7 and 9 speak about his birth and that he'll come from the family of David and Jesse. He was. Isaiah 53 talks about how he'll die. Jesus said this about, him, about the words of Scripture and prophecies in Matthew 26. This is all happening to fulfill the words of the prophets as recorded in Scriptures. We can trust the Bible because it is prophetically accurate. The third reason that we can trust the Bible, that it's the Word of God, is because it's thematically unified. In other words, it has the same theme from cover to cover, from Genesis to Revelation. The same theme of God's love and grace and forgiveness, of God's redemption, of God's plan of salvation, with Jesus Christ himself as the center, as the star of the story. It's thematically unified. You might say, well, what's the, the big deal about that? Aren't most books uh, thematically unified? But were they written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors on three different continents with three different languages? How did they get the story straight? How did they all get the same story? It wasn't even collected in one book until about 300 A.D. How do you think that happened? It'd be one thing if one person wrote the book, like the Quran was written by Muhammad, the Analects of Confucius written by Confucius, the teachings of Buddha written by Buddha. You'd expect them to be uniform. But a book comprised of, of, of 69 books and letters written by 40 different people in every age and stage of life on three different continents and written in three languages, Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And they got the same story. Written by princes and kings and sailors and soldiers and a doctor Prisoners, common people, written in caves, on ships, in prison, in palaces, in homes. The same theme of God's redemption, coursing, threaded throughout the whole of Scripture. Something else to think about in Luke 24, Jesus said this, um, it talks about Jesus right after the resurrection. Beginning with Moses, that's the first five books of the, old, of the Bible, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, in other words, the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And why that's important is because a lot of people think the New Testament is about Jesus and the Old Testament is about Israel. And so a lot of times we give more emphasis to the New Testament than the Old. But Jesus here says the, the, the law, Moses, and the prophets were written concerning himself. In other words, it's all about Jesus. He's talking about the Old Testament. And, and it, it, the star of the story here is Jesus Christ. You see him in every book of the, Old, of the Old Testament as well as in the New. The fourth way we can, the reason we can trust Scripture is because it's confirmed by Jesus. You know, a lot of times people will say, I don't have a problem with Jesus. I admire him. I like his teachings. But it's the rest of the Bible. Paul, the Old Testament, things like that that I really, I'm not real keen on. 
Here's the challenge to that attitude. Jesus trusted the rest of the scriptures. Jesus based his life and ministry on the rest of the scriptures. In Matthew 5.18, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. In other words, Jesus looks at the Bible and says, it's going to last until the end of time. This is God's word. John 10.35, Jesus says, Scripture is always true. And when Jesus talks about the truth of the Bible, if I trust Jesus, then I need to trust God's word. When Jesus talks about the Bible, he talks about it as something that is, is life-changing. It's not just words on a page. It's alive and active. And it's something we are to do and apply. Luke eleven twenty eight. Blessed, rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. When Jesus talked about the Bible, he talked about it as a real book with real people, with real places, with a real God who was really at work in their lives. He believed in the prophets. He talked about Daniel. He talked about Jonah and the great fish. He talked about Noah and the flood, Adam and Eve, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, and the interesting thing is some of those stories, Noah, Adam and Eve, Sodom and Gomorrah, and Jonah, are some of the most disputed stories in the Bible. But people will say, well, those are just a bunch of good stories or fables, good moral stories, but they didn't really happen. But Jesus taught and lived his life as if they did. You know, we can't have the attitude, I'm going to trust part of the Scripture and that part of the Scripture, but ignore that part of Scripture. Based on my subjective experience or feelings or popular opinion, I'm going to accept that part and that part, but dismiss that part. Jesus trusted God's Word. He confirmed it as God's Word. St. Augustine said, If you believe in the Bible what you like, and you don't believe what you don't like, it's not the Bible you trust, but yourself. I don't know about you, but I found that my experiences and my emotions and my opinions are not always trustworthy. I trust the Bible because I trust Christ. Matthew twenty four thirty five, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Voltaire um, you'll recognize his name, many of you, he was a famous French philosopher, a very brilliant man and an atheist. And he, he wrote uh, quite a bit uh, against the Bible. He made a famous statement in which he said, 100 years from today, the Bible will be a forgotten book. After he died for nearly 100 years, his house was used as the book depository for the French Bible Society. Kind of ironic. They sold Bibles out of his house. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. You know, there's a bumper sticker a few years back which said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. And I think it really ought to say, God said it, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Because whether I believe it or not doesn't change the fact that it's true, that it's God's word. What God says is good is good. What God says is moral is moral. What God says will happen will happen. And we may have questions and we may have areas we can't totally resolve. But my experience has been that I can get 98% of the way there 
and the 2% or 1% that I can't quite reconcile yet, I'm going to take by faith because it's way better than any other philosophy or worldview or literature out there. We can trust God's word because Jesus Christ himself trusted it. You know, Jesus said this in 8, John 8, 31 and 32, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You know, God wants to set us free. He wants to give us the abundant life. He wants us to walk and live in ways that are life-giving and helpful and beneficial to others and to ourselves and honoring to Him. You know, the amazing fact is that a lot of universities around the world have the second half of this verse engraved or imprinted on buildings. The truth will make you free. Unfortunately, so often, the second part, the first part of the verse is ignored. If you continue in my word, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Do we believe everything we read online? No. Do we believe everything we watch on TV? No. Do we believe everything we see in the newspaper or People magazine or whatever? No. Then why do we spend more time, I include myself in this, reading and watching stuff we know is a lie than reading what we know is the truth? The fundamental question that we want to end with today is what will be the final authority for my life? We need to resolve that at some point. Is the final authority for my life going to be God and His Word, or will it be the world? Will the final authority for my life be God and His Word, or will it be public opinion, or, or my personal feelings, or opinions, or subjective experience? Will we listen to God and let Him be our authority or not? You know, this book is, is pretty incredible. It tells us our life is not an accident. It tells us our life has an overarching purpose. It tells us that there is a plan for forgiveness. There, it tells us that we can have a home in heaven. It tells us that, that God is with us no matter what happens in our lives. It tells us that Christ loves us. It tells us that God made us to love Him and to be with Him forever. God's Word is trustworthy. And we can build our lives upon it. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, and training in righteousness so that, so that the man of God, the woman of God, the child of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work in Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you that you have loved us so much that you have communicated to, to us. You sent your Son, Jesus Christ. You sent your Spirit, and Lord, you have sent your Word. Lord, we thank you for how you worked and inspired through, through many different people in different times and different cultures and different languages to tell us that you love us, to tell us that your way and your plan is best to tell us um, how to deal with pain and frustration, with loneliness and sickness, with disappointment and fear. Uh, thank you for loving us so much to tell us uh, and give us your word. Father, we want to be people who uh, believe all of your word and apply your word. 
So, Lord, where there are doubts, help us to to dig and have those questions and doubts answered. And, Lord, where there is already belief, we pray that you would help us to be consistent in reading and knowing and applying all of your word. Uh, We thank you, Father, for your again for your message in scripture of love and of grace and of mercy we thank you lord in jesus name amen Just